I do want to bring a message to you today that uh, I'm excited about. Uh, I'm going to jump right in, actually, to my uh, text verse. And I know I've had you guys stand a lot, but if you'll stand with me one more time, I'm sorry. I'm actually not sorry. It's, it's worthy to stand for the, God's word. Amen. So let's, uh, let's read 2 Corinthians 3 together. It says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Can somebody say amen? amen. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. Now I highlighted that for a reason. Remember that phrase. We're being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So transformation into his likeness comes from the Lord. You wanna be transformed to be more like God? It only comes from God. It's the only place you're gonna find it. Uh, the title of my message today is The Art of Transformation. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for this time. I thank you for this word. I pray, God, that my words would be your words and that you would do your work in all of our hearts by your Holy Spirit. We open ourselves up to receive from you today for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. God bless you. You can be seated for a while. <laughs> All right, so transformation. You know, easily one of the biggest aspects of ministry that I contemplate as, uh, as the pastor of this church is, is how to lead people into a deeper relationship with Jesus and, and what that looks like to live a life of transformation. In fact, you know, the mission statement we have for our church is that we, uh, we would reach people far from God and lead people to their next step in a God-first life. That's just a, a, one way of saying like, we wanna help people get transformed to be more like Jesus. That is something that, that's what we're passionate about. That is why we do what we do. We're not here to put on a show or a concert or, or try to sound good and nice and look the best we can look. We are here to see lives transformed for the glory of God and for your good. Because I know what it's done in my life to be transformed and I'm continuing that transformation process. We all have next steps in our life, right? I know on a Sunday in a church like this, there's, there's plenty of people at different places in their walk of faith. Some of you might be very, right at the very beginning of your faith walk. Some of you might be, have been saved for 70 years. We're all at different places, but one thing that is the same for all of us is that God wants to do transforming work in our lives. So if you've been saved for 70 years, I got news for you, you're not fully transformed. <laughs> you're not going to be fully transformed until the day you're actually with Jesus after you leave this earth. So there's always transformation for us in our life. There's always next steps in our life to be transformed. And I wanna set you guys up for success. But at the end of the day, I know all I can do is actually set you up because it has to be something that you want. It has to be something that you respond to. You responding to the move of the Holy Spirit in your life to let him have his way in your life. Because I think too often we get complacent in our faith and we can... Uh, we could just become kind of uh, apathetic. We can, sometimes in best case scenarios, maybe we'll compartmentalize our faith, you know, where our, our faith is part of our life, then we got our home life, and we got our work life, we got our leisure life, we got our online life, we got all these other lives, and faith isn't, in all of them, it's just a compartmentalized part of it, and that's not the way it's meant to be. If it, we're really gonna have transformation in our life, our faith needs to go over all of those things. It needs to permeate every area of our life if we're really going to see that in our life. And I believe we all want to be transformed, right? Like we all, if, if, if we just had taken some truth serum and I went around the room, every one of us could say a couple things we're not crazy about about ourselves, right? In fact, um, they say that 
uh, 80% of human beings really don't like themselves, which I think is a really, really high number. But uh, the fact of the matter is we all can be our own worst critic. We all know what's in our heart, right? So we all want transformation on some level in our life. And I, I titled this message, The Art of Transformation, because transformation in our life, when it comes to our spiritual life, is, is more, of a, more of an art than it is a science, right? There's, there's aspects of it that you, know, you, can, you can boil it down and you can come up with formulas and you can come up with some practical points to it, and that's all fine and good. But at the end of the day, how you walk out this transforming life, this freedom that Jesus gave us, how you walk that out is much more of an art than it is a science. Now, I wish it were a science. I'm a, I'm a list guy, I'm a processes guy. Uh, I, like, uh, I like instructions. You know, I'm a little weird. When I buy something and instructions come in a box, I actually like to read them instead of trying to do it myself. If I'm lost, I like to ask for directions because I just wanna get to where I wanna go, you know? So I like, the, I like the practical side of it. I'm a very pragmatic person and I like the science, but the reality is walking out this faith is not just about a plus B plus C equals D, and boom, you're transformed forever, right? It's just not that way. It's going to be something that we have to work out. And you know, you might say, well, Jesus set me free, so I should just be seeing the fruit in my life, right? The transformation should just come because of what Jesus did for me, and I've, I've asked him to come into my life and given him place in my life. There is some truth to that, but there's still the reality that we have to walk out this freedom that he set us free, that he gave us. Right? Just if you think about it as someone that had been in prison for 20 years, right? When they when they get released from prison, it is still a process for those for someone like that to actually know what it looks like to live free. Right? You have to change your location, you have to change your clothes, but you also have to change your mindset. To live free is more of a mindset than anything. And so just because you're not in a cell doesn't mean you're necessarily a free person. And just because Jesus has set us free, because scripturally we can read that and know that it's true, it doesn't mean we're living free. Just because we can say the name of Jesus or I can say I'm a Christian or I can say I go to church or I can say I do the things that I'm supposed to do doesn't necessarily equate to being free. And I, it always, when I think about freedom and transformation in my life, I always go back to the children of Israel, always. I'm reading about them right now anyway in my personal quiet times, but my mind always goes there because you know, we all, most of us know the story of God bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, right? They were slaves in Egypt for 440 years. He uses Moses to deliver them out. They're completely set free from the slavery they were in. God totally set them free from slavery. He took them out of Egypt miraculously, but it took a long time for God to get Egypt out of them. It took a long time. In fact, a lot of them never fully got the Egypt out of them never fully got free. They died in the wilderness. So being free in the technical aspect does not mean that you are literally free. In fact, I'm telling you, I'm in my Bible reading right now. I've recently read Exodus, Leviticus, and I just finished up Numbers. And if you're reading those three books, I lost track of how many times the Israelites said, oh my gosh, can we just please go back to Egypt? I literally lost track. It's, it's more than eight, maybe 15 times. I can't remember. But so many times that when the smallest thing would happen, they would say, oh, if we could just go back to Egypt. We had all the meat we wanted there. We had everything we needed. And they, they remembered it with these rose-colored glasses, right? Instead of remembering what it really was, which was bondage. And you know, we can so easily read that and judge 
the children of Israel and think, man, they were, they were not all there. Something was not right, right? Yet when you relate it to today with us, we do the same thing all the time, where we will go back to bondage, we will reject in some respects the transformation, the freedom that God has given us, and go back into that bondage. And the reason is, I believe, is because if we're really honest with ourselves, sometimes we just miss Egypt. We miss our Egypt. Because he got to set us free from those things, but you know what? The Bible even tells us that some of, we can enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Sin can be fun. Doing things that are, put us in bondage for a season can be actually really entertaining and fun. The Bible tells us that. And so it's easy to want to be drawn back into that. You know, like, God, oh, I know, you know, you set me free from anxiety and from worry, and, and that's really wonderful, but man, I really miss being able to control everything. You know, because to really be free from anxiety and worry and, and fear and all those things, you have to let go of control. And some of us would rather control than to let go and live in that freedom that God has given us. Or, you know, God, I know God, he set me free from lust. You know, he set me free from, from pornography. But, man, sometimes I just think it'd be really nice to be able to, to go back into that fantasy world because it's just not real and it's kind of an escape where we can just indulge in that, right? And we, we reject the transformation. We reject the freedom to go back to Egypt. And we have to, have to ask ourselves that. Like, what am I missing about Egypt that is drawing me back? Yeah, I mean, the, the children of Israel were completely enslaved, which is a whole nother level, but the reality is it still goes to the processing, the mental thinking of a human being, is that we will go back to that bondage sometimes as soon as the freedom we're living doesn't seem to look like the way we think it should look. Because the reality is, the children of Israel, when they got into the wilderness, there was times, there was a time where they were completely out of water. They came to Moses and said, why don't we just go back to Egypt? We're gonna die out here without water. You know, and God said, told Moses to, to speak to the rock and the water would come out, you know? So God was providing, but it wasn't just all perfect and ooey-gooey and unicorns and rainbows and cotton candy when they were in the wilderness. They had tough times. And as soon as they experienced the tough times, they're, oh, let's just go back to bondage. As soon as it didn't look like the way they thought it should look. And we are all very, very prone to that in our life. And we have to be mindful of it. We have to be intentional against it. Because the reality is, transformation takes time. Transformation in your life takes time because understanding freedom takes time. And there are different levels of freedom. And it is a process in our life. In fact, my text verse tells us that. I'm gonna read the second verse again out of my text verse, but I'm gonna read it out of the NLT because I like the wording because it'll help give us something to really sink our teeth into here. He said, so all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed, that's another word for transformed, into his glorious image. He makes us more and more like him as we are transformed into his glorious image. Now, this verse gives us context as to why I'm saying it takes time. Because the fact that Paul's telling us here in this letter that to be transformed into his image, he, he, he takes us more and more and more. Well, if it didn't take time, and as soon as you get saved and you confess your sins and you have some, somebody that's older and wiser than you pray over you and you have this incredible experience of getting saved and you're wanting to live for God, if, it's, if that's all it takes and then you're just up here at this top level of freedom, then Paul wouldn't have said that we're being changed more and more and more into his likeness. We're building 
on the transformation. And we're building on the freedom in our life. You start out with a little bit of freedom, and then you build on that, you get to another level of freedom. You build on that, you get to another level of freedom. And the longer you are living this life of faith as you are dedicated to Jesus, you're experiencing more and more and more freedom. That's the design. That's the way it's meant to be. I am much more free today than I was 20 years ago. I stand up here a pretty free person. Now, I'm not perfect, but I can see where the Lord has taken me into these, these places of more and more and more freedom in my life. And it's a really beautiful thing that we can just embrace. It's about next steps. It's about stepping into your next place of freedom. And listen, we need to understand though, or I want you to understand today that it's not just time alone that helps us to grow more and more and more. Time is part of it, but it's not just time by itself. You guys know that they say time heals all wounds. Anybody that's had an emotional wound knows that that is, couldn't be further from the truth. Time doesn't heal all wounds. Just like time doesn't make a person wise. We all could probably think of a person or two that has the gray hair on their head, but sure doesn't seem like they got a lot of wisdom, right? Nobody in this room, of course, but time doesn't heal wounds, time doesn't make wise, and time does not bring transformation by itself. In fact, if you're not living in such a way where you are continually growing, time can actually work against you. Because what happens is you actually get into bad habits and you get in a rut, and that rut can be hard to get out of. That spiritual rut can be really, really challenging to get out of in our life. I know it'd be nice to just say, well, you just need to say a prayer and get out of it. But it's not always that simple. Because bad habits can actually be very, very strong in our life. The more that he's talking about here, we're more and more, more is meant to build on the previous more. I know this is, I'm really butchering words here, but go with me here. He says more and more, it's a stepping stone where you're, the more you're experiencing now that you're gonna experience tomorrow is gonna be built on the more that you have today. And too often times we wanna just skip over all the mores and get to the most. But we can't skip over the more. We have to build on each one. That's the way it's been set up to become more and more like him. That word changed in my scripture there, it's actually, the Greek word for it is uh, metamorpho, which I'm sure I butchered that too, but you can tell where that word is. The English word we use for that is metamorphosis. And we know that that change takes time, right? It takes time for a caterpillar to turn into a butterfly, right? It takes time for a child to turn into an adult. I know they say the day you turn 18, all of a sudden now you're mature and you can vote and you can buy stuff you couldn't buy before. <laughs> we all know that's not true. In fact, Kenzie just turned 18 in December. And on her birthday, I asked her, I said, hey, how does it feel to be an adult? And she goes, huh? Doesn't feel any different than it felt yesterday because it doesn't happen that fast. Society will tell you you're, you're, now you've arrived, but the reality is the metamorphosis takes time in our life. I mean, I'm, I'm late 40s and I still feel like I'm not an adult some days, right? <laughs> My body feels like one for sure when it's creaking and hard to get up in the morning, but, but it all takes time in our life. So, and I can, I, can, uh, I can go here myself, so I'm sure some of you are thinking this way too, like, well, what about those that have been instantaneously transformed in their life? What about the people that have experienced that miraculous, you know, because we believe in the miraculous, right? I believe in it wholeheartedly. I've seen it. In fact, uh, Pastor Bowen told the story many times. That it was either his dad or his uncle 
that was delivered, split second, delivered from alcoholism while he was drunk sitting at a bar. That's powerful. And that's beautiful. My wife was completely delivered from fear in a moment. I remember it like it was yesterday and it was about 16 years ago and she was completely delivered. I saw her whole countenance change and she was excited and going crazy saying, it's gone. And, and I knew it was legitimate too. And those things are beautiful things, but you know what? Here's the thing. When you get delivered from alcoholism miraculously, you still got more. You still gotta build on that. If you've had a miracle in your life where you've seen transformation in your life instantaneously, whether it was emotional, physical, spiritual, whatever it was, that's wonderful. We celebrate it with you. Now build on it. Build on it. I can tell you from joy being delivered from fear 15 years ago, it doesn't mean that she's never had to deal with it since then. She's had moments where it's come back and it's slapped her in the face. And she's had to remind herself that she's free. So even when you're miraculously delivered, it doesn't mean that everything from there is just, oh, now it's just, I'm just like Jesus now. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Guess what? He still died. He still died. So all of the deliverance we get on this earth is great, but there's still going to be processes in our life where we have to choose to grow and build on the transforming power that God does in our life. Glory to God. So why does it matter? Well, I'm glad you asked. It matters because you were created for more. You were created to live free. You were created to live under the transforming power of Jesus. And if we're honest, most of us would have to admit that we're not living what we are meant to live. We're not living in that freedom that God designed for us to live in. We were created to be like him, to honor him, to be, we're made in his likeness. We're, we're called to have the mind of Christ. The Bible says we can have the mind of Christ if the spirit of God is in us. We are created for more than just getting through life, hoping for the best and hanging on until we can get done. In fact, I wanna to read to you out of Ephesians 4. This is the Apostle Paul's letter to the, the church in Ephesus. He said, he was talking to Christians here. He said, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new, that's another word for transformed, in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You were taught that you were created to be like God in righteousness and holiness if you are a follower of Jesus. You've been taught that. That's what, that's what the Holy Spirit teaches us, is that we are created to be like him. We're created to have his righteousness and to be holy as he is holy. Now, we can only do that through the Spirit of God in us, but that's what we're created for. That's why he gives us his spirit, because we're created for more than just drudging along in this life. That's his desire for all of us. And many of us have had dreams and aspirations and goals in our life and our faith and believe in God for great things, and maybe you've had your expectations dashed, and so we get to where we just lose hope, where we give up. And church, if I can, if I can challenge you in anything today, do not give up in your faith. Don't give up. I'm telling you, there's gonna be ebbs and flows in our faith. I, I wish that it was just always like we're just constantly get growing, getting more and more free, and we're more and more like Jesus all the time. The reality is, there's times where we plateau for a season, and there's even times where we feel like we're 
descending. But can I tell you, never, ever give up. The Bible's full of stories of people who gave up. You know, not every story in the Bible is a success story. There's a lot of stories of people that gave up. But we focus on the ones of the people that didn't give up because they're the ones that give us the hope because they're the ones that actually saw the glory of God. They're the ones that actually saw the faithfulness of God manifested in their life. You know, I was at a, uh, a little pastor's round table in Athens a couple weeks ago, and uh, the, the pastor that was speaking to all of us was uh, Danny Anderson. He's a, a pastor of a great church in Indianapolis, and uh, it's Emmanuel Church. And he was talking about when he transitioned, he was the youth pastor, and the senior pastor had wanted to retire, so he tapped him on the shoulder, said, hey, I want you to take over the church. He was 27, 26 years old. He was a kid when he uh, took over this church, and he said, it was really great. He said, uh, we were a church of 2,000 when I took it over, and within nine months, we had grown to 900. And he said, we were dying. And he said, I remember going to a staff meeting, telling our staff, hey, some of you might need to think about getting second jobs, because we're gonna have to lower salaries, because we're not making it. And he said, it was a terrible, terrible feeling around our place. And he said, I was working my tail off, and there was a number of circumstances that just was working against him. And he said, you know, another year, we're gonna be, we're gonna be done. And um, he just kept on, and eventually, long story short, it turned around, they started growing, and that was 16 years ago, I think, 16, 17 years ago, now they're a church of 6,000. They're a monstrosity in Indianapolis, multiple campuses, and they're just seeing people saved every week, and it's a powerful ministry they got going on there. And he said, inevitably, everybody wants to ask me, how'd you do it? Pastors especially, like, ooh, 900 to 6,000, yeah, give me that formula. And he said, I always tell them the same thing. Like, I'm gonna give you a very, very spiritual answer. I didn't give up. That's all he says. So I don't, all I know is I did not give up. He said, I didn't give up on God's call on my life. I didn't give up on God's faithfulness. I didn't give up on God's call on this church. I didn't give up on anything. I kept doing what I knew to do, pursuing Jesus and this is what happened. Now, is that a formula that no matter what you do, if you just keep working, you know, you're gonna be one of the biggest churches in the United States? No, of course not. But the principle is so valuable, guys. It's so valuable to us. You know what, there are times, he knew that he was stepping into that role, that that was what God wanted for him, and yet here goes the church, just tailing down, to the point that it was an embarrassment. Literally an embarrassment. Yet he stuck with it, whereas a lot of people would probably just say, you know what, it didn't work, I'm out. He stuck with it, and now the Lord has blessed him in that way. Don't give up. God's promises are for sure. They're true in our life. His faithfulness is guaranteed in your life, guys. It's an absolute ironclad guarantee. There's no other guarantee that could ever beat this one. His faithfulness in your life is 100% sure every single time. He is the one that's going to transform your life. You're not gonna be able to do it on your own. You're not gonna be able to just figure out how to grit your teeth and transform your life. He is the one that does it. He is the one that took you from death to life. He is the one that took you from sinner to saint. He's the one that took you from unholy to holy. He's the one that took you from being a prisoner to being free. It's him and only him. And he's gonna keep doing it in your life. Praise God. Thank the Lord. Now, because I am a pragmatic person, I do wanna give you a couple principles, components of transformation that I think you can just take with you that um, I believe will, will encourage you. It's not a formula by any stretch, but it'll encourage you. And there's three of them. I'm gonna give you all three of them, then I'll go back and kind of go over them. The Word of God, prayer, posture. These are three very, very important things if you wanna live in transformation. Now, 
I'm gonna talk about the Bible and prayer kind of together. They're two very separate things, but they're very closely linked in our life. And the importance of the Bible, of, of being in the word of God and having a personal relationship with Jesus cannot be overstated. In fact, um, I, I agonize over how to challenge and encourage you guys to be in the word because I, I'm so desperate for us as a people to be excited about God's word because it is what transforms us. The transforming power of God is in his word. It really is. Yet we, we overlook it too often. We minimize it. We, we uh, don't give it the importance in our life that it needs. And the reality is I can keep it in front of you consistently and I, and I will, but you have to want it more than I want it for you for it to make a difference in your life. I can get up here and try to, try to coerce and, and do a challenge, a 30-day challenge of reading your Bible or whatever, and I can do all those things, and I'm not against those things, but at the end of the day, you have to want it for it to really affect your life and change your life. And I pray that that is what you want, because I can tell you it has changed my life. It has taken me more and more and more into the likeness of Jesus, more and more all the time, and it's because of being consistently in the Word of God. This isn't something you read one time like you do a normal book and you put it on the shelf and hope you remember the, the good parts. This is something that is meant to be consumed in our life every day. It's not just a regular book. It is living and active. The Bible itself says that itself is living and active, that it is actually food for the soul inside of us, that when we read it, it's not just words on a page. It's not just cool stories, but it's actually giving us life. It is breathing life into our bones. And it is so valuable and so important for us. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have hidden your word. Another version says, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. The, the, the word of God is not the only thing that you're allowed to treasure in your heart, okay? You can treasure other things too. And we do, we all do. I was thinking through this, I was thinking, you know, how many of us, like our favorite movie, it's pretty treasured in our heart. And you'll argue with someone if they tell you that your favorite movie is dumb. And you get angry, right? And if you're sitting on the couch and you're surfing the cable and you're kind of slouched down and all of a sudden you see your favorite movie's on, suddenly your countenance changes. You start, you sit up, you're like, oh yeah. And what's the first thing you do? Do I have time to watch the whole thing? Because if not, I'm gonna hit record and I'm gonna come back tonight, right? Because it's my movie and it's in my heart. And no, I'm not gonna tell you my favorite movie because I don't want anybody making fun of me. So, but if, if, if you told somebody how many times you've seen your favorite movie, you'd probably be embarrassed, right? Because it's just, it's, it's so treasured inside of us. You know, our, our favorite sports team, it's treasured in our heart. There's, there's things in our life, our family, we treasure it. And those are all good things. But the Bible tells us to treasure his word in our heart too so that we might not sin against him. How do you know if you're displeasing God if you don't know his word? right? And his word has an effect on our life. And it, if, if his words don't have an effect on your life, can I say something without you guys getting mad at me? <laughs> you have to question whether how much you really love God. And let me explain, because if, if you love God, his words will have an effect on your life. So I, I've, been, I've been preaching at this church for about eight years. Uh, I think it was eight, eight or nine years ago was the first time I preached in our church here. And uh, just in the last few years, obviously, in this role. But as the executive pastor, I would preach here every so often. And, and um, so I've been preaching for a while. And just very recently, somebody came up to me and literally told me, you know, I just don't really like your preaching style. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I almost found it humorous because, you know, I don't have much relationship with this person. So I was like, you know, it didn't really, 
It didn't really do much to me. I'm at a place in life anyway now where I'm like, you know what, I, God, God loves me, and uh, I don't think I'm that good either, but he has me up here, so you guys are stuck with me. But, uh, but it just, you know, it doesn't have much of an effect. However, if my wife, between services, if we go back in my office after first service, she goes, that sermon stunk. It, could dev- it would, like, ruin my, I'd be a heap on the floor. You'd be, we'd be like watching a video for second service. So you know if we ever come out and you're watching a video for church that Joy just ruined my day. So. <laughs> no, she doesn't ever do that. But I'm saying because of my level of relationship with her, her words have more power in my life. You know, your spouse can ruin your day with one sentence. Whereas a stranger might make you mad for five minutes, but you're going to get over it. Right? Somebody that you're invested in, that you love, and as your relationship with that person grows, their influence into your life grows. Their words mean even more the more they know you, especially if they know you at your worst. So when they encourage you, it means a lot more because I know my wife knows me on my worst day. And when, when I first met Joy, we, were in a, we had to be in a meeting together, actually, just the two of us, and I didn't even really know her, and it was kind of an awkward meeting, and I felt like she's a little standoffish. And I remember walking out of that meeting going, who cares, you know? She did that now, I'd be, you know, like, what's wrong? What did I do? You know, because we have that level of relationship. I've invested 22 years in her. And so when, when you have that type of relationship, the words have power over you. It's the same thing in the word of God. If you've invested, if you really love God and you're really in this relationship with him, his words will have an effect on you. And let me tell you, when you look at his word and you know who the God of the Bible is, and you know how majestic he is, and you know how all-powerful he is, and he is all-present, he is all-knowing, he is all-sufficient, he is all-everything, he's perfect, he's holy, and he still loves me? Are you kidding me? But see, you don't know that, and you can't feel that passion that I feel about it right now if you don't know it. I can't just tell you who he is, and you go, oh, that's really cool. You have to know it. And you're only gonna know it if you're in it. I get 30, 40 minutes with you once a week, and that's if you come every Sunday. You gotta do this on your own. You're gonna find, you're gonna know your God if you're in relationship with him on a daily basis, not in a relationship with your church or with your pastor, okay? He is way, way better than I could ever dream about being and helping you understand how awesome he is and how much he loves you, even though he knows you at your worst. So it's so important that we are in the word and that we are pursuing this personal relationship with him. I, I shared it briefly last week, and just briefly today too. For centuries, for thousands of years, people could not be in a personal relationship with Jesus unless he handpicked you, or with God, I should say, unless he handpicked you. The tabernacle, being in the center of the camp, the, the, the Levites were the first ring, and then it was the rest of the Israelites in the outer ring. The Levites were the only ones that were able to even get close to the tabernacle because the tabernacle represented the presence of God. That word means the dwelling place of God. So as a normal Joe, like you and me are, we couldn't just go into the presence of God and be like, what's up, Jesus? We couldn't do it or you die. Literally, not figuratively, you physically die. The Levites even died if they went into the presence of God in the wrong way. And now we have this complete change of fortune where Jesus says, not only do you not have to worry about dying, I want you in my presence. I want you to come to me. I want you to talk to me. I want to have communion with you through my word and through just him speaking to our heart and learning to know his voice because we spend time with him and we're intimate with him and we know what he sounds like when he speaks to our heart. That's what he wants from all of us, not just pastors and priests and 
and super spiritual people. He wants it for every single one of us, whether this is day one of salvation or day 10,000. That's what he wants in our life. Amen. Amen. All right, then lastly, and I'll close with this, is their posture. And I'm just going to take a minute on this because this could be a whole, this could be a series, frankly. The posture that, we, that God wants from us for transformation in our life. And I'm going to read out of Romans 12 because it, it, it says it very beautifully. And most of you know this verse. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, there's that word again, transformation, by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the posture of transformation is to offer our bodies. Offer. That's, that's what he's saying. Like, just bring yourself to me in a humble state. And I will do the work of transformation in your life. Now, it's not a token thing to just say, okay, well, I offer myself to you, Jesus, and then walk off and do your thing. It's about consistently living a lifestyle of offering ourselves to him, laying ourselves at his feet, saying, Jesus, I can't get through the day without you. I know I can, but I don't want to. I wanna, I wanna lean on you. I wanna need you for everything. I'm bringing myself to you. I'm, uh, we're being transparent with him. We're being accountable to him. We're making sure that we are offering ourselves to him. And can I tell you something today, church? Offering yourself is something that takes zero talent. No talent. Anybody and everybody can offer themselves, because we all do. We all offer ourselves to something. He's saying, just offer yourself to me. It takes no talent to do it, and he will never, ever reject us when we do it. He wants us to come before him humbly, knowing that we need the God of the universe, to transform us because we can never do it on our own. Praise God. Would you stand with me, please? I would like to pray for us today. I appreciate your patience. I know we went a little bit long, but I get kind of worked up sometimes. I'm just so thankful to God that he is a transforming God. I really am. And I'm living proof that he can transform us. I am living proof, and I know so many people that I have seen his transforming power in their life. And I know many of you in this room that I've seen God do transforming work. And some of you have told me about the transformation God's done in your life that happened, that started long before I knew you. And it's so great to be able to tell somebody, well, that's incredible because I don't even see that in you anymore. God's, whatever that was, he took it out of you. And that's a beautiful thing when somebody can say, I'm a totally different person than I was 10, 20, 30 years ago. And that's only because of the working power of God in our life. But he doesn't show favorites. He wants to do it for every one of us. He wants to do it for every single one of us. It's one of the reasons he came was to transform us, to make us more like him in his righteousness and in his holiness. So let's pray together. And I just encourage you to receive this prayer today and believe it in your heart. Lord God, I thank you today that you are so faithful. Lord, I thank you that you, in, in the fact that you are so all powerful, all knowing, and that you're everywhere, Lord, yet you still love us, that you still look down on us and you say, I want to transform your life. I wanna make you more like me. God, what a privilege it is to be able to know you, to know that no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what we've been through, no matter what our family line is like, no matter what our DNA is, you want to make us more like you. God, help us to believe that in our heart. Help us to believe it, Lord. It's not just words on a page. 
It's not just words coming out of my mouth. It is the truth of God. And I pray that you would do a work in every one of our hearts, everyone listening, that we would experience that power in our life. And Lord, that we would be patient to allow it to, be, to, to take the time that it needs to take, Lord, but we would do our part by being in your word, by, by being before you, by posturing ourselves the way that you would want us to, God, so that you can do your work in our life. Lord, where we have fallen short, where we have said we wanna go back to Egypt, God, would you forgive us? Lord, forgive us for constantly wanting to go back to that bondage that you set us free from. Lord, we don't want it. We're not gonna say we'll never do it again, but Lord, today we're standing in faith saying we do not wanna go back to that place. No matter what things look like on this side in the wilderness sometimes, and we know our faith can feel like wilderness at times. God, we do not wanna give up. We wanna keep pressing forward because we know that you're faithful and we wanna see your faithfulness manifested in our life in a powerful way. And we know that that happens for those who do not give up, who continue. We will reap what we sow because your word tells us that. So we thank you for it today, Lord. And God, I pray for anyone here today that doesn't know you, that comes in here and would say they're not even a Christian. God, I pray that you would touch their heart today. I pray, God, that you would put it on their heart to give their life over to you, to offer their life as a living sacrifice. We know that's all you ask of us, is to give you our life and to confess that you are Lord and to receive your forgiveness for our sins. We know that your word tells us that our names will be written in the book of life. We thank you for that, God. We know there's nothing we can do to be transformed. There's also nothing we can do to be saved except throw ourselves at your feet. So Lord, I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice would not leave this place today without knowing that they know that they've given their life to you. You are the one that deserves our life. You are worthy of it all, as we sang a little bit ago. Thank you, Jesus, for being worthy and for being trustworthy. We honor you and we praise your holy, precious name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Can we praise God one more time in this place? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God.